Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with the president of the University of Virginia, Teresa Sullivan, who will share her thoughts, learnings, musings on higher education leadership here today at Harvard. Uh, president Sullivan, welcome to the EdCast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So maybe it's an understatement to say UVA's uh, had a lot on its plate lately and focusing less on the particulars in the news. How has your leadership style informed your work and how has your leadership changed? Well, UVA is a very resilient place and one of the things that's happened is we've really come together as a family, which is something I very much admire about that university community. Uh, And I think it's been important for me uh, as a leader to also model some resilience and to keep the channels of communication open. And so that means talking to lots of groups, to lots of stakeholders. I always did that in the past. I think I'm even more conscious about it today than I was before. Because sometimes it's the people who don't lift their voices who have the real wisdom to share with you. I also have tried to pull together deliberately people of opposing views to talk with me so that I don't get into a kind of expectation bias where everybody around me is saying the same things, but I know I'll be challenged with what I say. I think it's a good policy for any leader, famously done by Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, so that that kind of leads in nicely to our next question. You don't want yes men and no men. You you want a nice combination of the two. Uh, Who you've modeled your leadership after. You mentioned Abraham Lincoln, but anyone in your your lifetime that you've seen, uh, that person I want to be a leader like them. Uh, There's two presidents I work closely with, both of whom I think had a big influence on me. Uh, One was Larry Faulkner at the University of Texas, and the other was Mary Sue Coleman at the University of Michigan. But the first president I worked for also had a a lot of influence on me, and that was when I was a senior in college, and that was Clifton R. Wharton, who was president of Michigan State. Didn't you intern in that office? I did intern in that office, and I learned a lot from him. When you say a lot, like, uh, what are some of the particulars of leadership that you picked up from these people that you've incorporated into your own leadership style? So one of the things that I learned from Cliff is that opposition is not fatal. He always had a kind of five to three majority on his board and, uh, you know, was always in danger of slipping into that no confidence zone. And yet he worked with his opponents as well as I think he worked with those who supported him. That was an important life lesson because not everybody's going to agree with you, and that's okay. You can still come up with ways to make your institution flourish, even if they don't agree with you on every, every issue. I think that can be challenging sometimes to create a culture of people disagreeing. And I'm curious how you kind of institute a culture of people saying, you know what, President, I don't agree with you, or you know what, it's okay to, to not be in the majority opinion. Uh, I think one of the things that's really remarkable about UVA is the level of civility of conversation there. And students have modeled to them from their very first days on the grounds that disagreeing with one another is uh, quite usual. It's to be expected. Uh, One survey of our student body showed that the students were one-third Democrats, one-third Republican, one-third Independent. So there's lots of room for disagreement. And people learn to disagree with each other without being disagreeable. Uh, It's a very important life skill, especially with the country as polarized politically as we seem to be at times. It's important to have people who can bridge that divide and be able to talk to folks on both sides. I didn't create that culture. I found that culture when I got there. That's nice. Um, Talk about some of the challenges facing higher ed leaders writ large across uh, the country in the 21st century. What, What do you see as some of the biggest challenges higher education has, and then from a leadership perspective, how to sort of address those challenges? 
2008 changed everything in a way that we don't all still understand. It has changed the way the economy works. And that's really important because at the same time it increased the anxiety of lots of middle class families about how their children could find a way in this new economy. And of course they've turned to college as one way to do it and sometimes been disappointed in the result. And we in the universities are also struggling to understand what this new economy means and to prepare our students as well as we can for it. That's not to say that going to college is only about jobs, but when you watch so many middle-class families with layoffs and other things that threatened their basic economic viability, it was inevitable that the jobs conversation would come to dominate. And I am trying to embrace that myself. I teach a class called 21st Century Labor Force. So you get to teach and be president. Is that uh, fun to kind of take off one hat and put on the other? Yes, I teach, this class is a, what we call a COLA, which is a College of Liberal Arts advising class. It's 50 minutes of class content, followed by 25 minutes of how to be a successful college student. So we might talk about how you study abroad or how you can get an internship, sort of practical things like that. And then these students become my advisees. Uh, for four semesters or until they declare a major, whichever comes first. I'm sure those students give you great insight into student life as well. Uh, it, yes, uh, really, it's quite wonderful. We're going to have a reunion at my house in two weeks with hamburgers and hot dogs, and I just find the feedback I get from them to be invaluable. I learn as much from them, really, as I think they do from me. You talked about resilience earlier, and I'm curious, the top, you know, if you were going to provide a list for new college presidents or even college presidents who are, who are very veteran, three most important skills to be successful as a college or university president. Uh, I think that you need to carve out some time to reflect and think, as hard as it is to do, especially with a 24-7 news cycle, um, because uh, knee-jerk reactions are often wrong. I think that you need to have a group of trusted advisors, again, who represent different points of view, whom you can turn to and who won't get mad at you if, they, if you don't follow their advice. Uh, and then I think you need a real appreciation for who all of your stakeholder groups are. You overlook one of those at your peril. And there are many. And you may not anticipate all of them. I've discovered, for example, that each of our 25 varsity sports has a different following different people for whom this sport is really important and going to it is really critical. Well, that's just not true of sports. It's true of lots of things. It's true of every department, every major. There are many constituencies out there that you must pay attention to. Yeah, you talk about carving out time in a 24-hour news cycle, and I'm curious. I think I have a sort of busy life, and I'm not a college president. I'm curious what that actually looks like in practice. So sometimes when I have a busy day, I'll shut off my phone, I'll go take a bath, or I'll watch a show, and that'll be kind of my thinking time, my reflecting time. I'm curious, how, do, how does that reflection time look for you as a college president, knowing that in some cases you probably do need to be technically on 24-7? Yes, and I live right in the center of the grounds. And so if there is an emergency, I can always be reached. But uh, my staff know that I turn off electronically at nine, at 9 in the evening because if I don't, I won't get to sleep. And it really is important to get your sleep because the tireder you get, the worse your decisions become. So sleep time for me is really important. I try to save that time. But I do get up fairly early in the morning, and then I try to have at least an hour to myself before the day begins. And that's time when I can think about what happened, plan out the day, maybe get started on my email. Um, 
but I need those couple of hours of relative silence. Um, you know, just just as time for me to reflect and meditate. Uh, last question, President Sullivan. Thanks so much for making time for us today. Uh, President of U University of Virginia, what are you most proud of right now? And, and then what is it that you hope to do for the future, the rest of your time and your legacy at the school? So I am a demographer, and one of the things I noticed when I first came to the university was we were not preparing for the generational turnover of faculty. In the next seven to ten years, we'll replace up to half our faculty. So what I'm happy about is that we have not only planned for it, we've got the financing for it, we're thinking about new and better ways of recruiting faculty, and I think people are very energized about this. That, more than anything else, will set the third century for our university, because we're coming up on our bicentennial in two years. Um, I think the second thing is, when I first arrived, actually in, in my second month at the university, I put in this, a stake in the ground for patient safety at our hospital and our health system, that working on patient safety was one of the most important things we could do. And I'm pleased to say that that has become a hallmark of our health system. Uh, and I'm very proud of the way we have really improved our health care and at the same time, I think, improved the morale of our caregivers. Uh, i got to ask the Bicentennial coming up. Big plans? Give us a little teaser. Yes. Well, so it took Mr. Jefferson eight years to get the university up and running. Uh, but 2017 will be the Bicentennial of the laying of the cornerstone. That cornerstone was laid by Mr. Jefferson, Mr. Madison, and Mr. Monroe pretty amazing collection. I, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yes, pretty amazing collection of talent. Then in 2019, we'll celebrate the bicentennial of receiving the charter uh, from the General Assembly of the Commonwealth. Our uh, first class was admitted in 1825, so actually in 2025, we have another bicentennial. The party just keeps on going. That's right. It gives us a lot of things to celebrate, and also, I think it gives us a lot of the facets of the Jeffersonian origins to talk about. Um, Jefferson, the technologist, Jefferson, the scientist. Um, he did it all. Jefferson, the internationalist, yes. He really was an extraordinary person. But I also appointed two years ago a President's Commission on the Role of Slavery in the University because Mr. Jefferson was also a slaveholder. That is a part of our history we need to confront, and we really have not to this point. But I'm happy to say that last month our board um, – adopted a proposal I put before them to name our new residence hall for Isabella and William Gibbons, an enslaved couple who worked at the university until emancipation. And then Isabella became the first teacher of color at the Jefferson Free School, and William Gibbons became a minister at the First Baptist Church, and they served the community for the rest of their lives. I think a great model and a long overdue recognition. Good for you guys. Teresa Sullivan, the president of the University of Virginia, thanks for very much for being on the EdCast and being at Harvard today. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. <laughs>